well in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather for this service of worship, to sing your praise, to hear your word read. Lord, we ask now as we look to your word that you would open our eyes to understand it, that you would give us insight and understanding into your word, that you would give us obedience as we live out what is in your word. Lord, we pray that as a church you might, uh, you might give us great unity, that we would not only love uh, Uh, being at peace with one another as you yourself are our peace, that we would love the gathering of the church, that we would see generations raised up to love and delight in your church. Father, we pray for our missions partners in uh, Southeast Asia who are are homegrown, who were um, sent out by us. Lord, we thank you for them and for the privilege of supporting them and for uh, seeing the gospel spread through them. Lord, we want to give you praise for that which they give you praise for. And we're thankful that you are at work among them. Lord, we thank you that they get to spend this Christmas with extended family, especially as it's been a difficult year for that family this year, Lord. We pray that it would be just a joyful and wonderful time together. Lord, we thank you that the opportunities they have to coach and to tutor in the community are going smoothly and well. Father, we pray with them that you would show these tutors how the whole Bible fits together. Lord, that you would show them uh, your plan of redemption from Genesis through Revelation and that they might see their place in that redemptive plan and that they might desire to share the gospel with others and, and to tell others of what you have done for us in Christ and how you've redeemed us and bought us back from the curse of the law and from sin and death. Lord, we pray that especially the translators might not only know the gospel, but share the gospel and that your church might grow. Lord, we pray that your, your church there and here would be unified and not just inside of individual churches, but across churches, Lord, that we would find unity with those who profess and proclaim and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and where word and witness is not threatened, that we would find great unity. Lord, we pray for tonight's light fight. We thank you for the great interest that there is uh, in this uh, event, Lord. Lord, I pray specifically that you would, um, that you would uh, allow us as a church to see this as not merely an event to enjoy, but as an opportunity to connect with the community, to engage with people. Lord, would you open doors for new relationships to be formed, and would you give us um, the courage and the bravery to Uh, to step into some of those relationships, to meet people, and maybe even for gospel opportunities that we could tell others of what you have done for us as well. Lord, we, uh, we pray again this service, though, with heavier hearts than last for Leola Willard, as uh, we knew that she fell this morning, Lord, but to learn that she has broken her hip and her pelvis is, um, is sad news to us. Lord, we pray that you would provide healing for her and strength and recovery and relief from pain. Lord, we continue to pray that you would give her and those who care for her the ability to communicate, to know what she needs, what's going on, and what she is experiencing. And so, Lord, we ask you for her, uh, for her health and for her healing and for her comfort. Lord, show us the goodness of, of your word and of unity and of all that you have purchased for us in Christ today, and we ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen. This Christmas series, Home for Christmas, as I shared last week, is a follow-up to our series, Blueprint, that we looked at in November. And in, in Blueprint, we saw God's design for the church, how he has designed his church to function and what he has designed it to be. But a blueprint is just a plan. It's just a plan to build something. Uh, you, you have to take that blueprint and build a structure. But once you have built the structure, you still only have a house. It's not a home until somebody takes up residence there. It's not a home until it's lived in. It's not a home until it is enjoyed. And I believe part of what has fueled these last two series is that I believe that God has given us the church to be a bit of a home away from home. I think one of the best analogies for the church I've ever heard is that of uh, of an embassy. And an embassy is a, a, a bit of your home nation on foreign soil. And if you, uh, if you know the New Testament and really all of the scriptures well, you know that if you have trusted Christ, by faith you have been made a, a citizen of his kingdom. And, and, and we are not at home here in this world. We are not first and foremost citizens of any earthly nation. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And though we might live in this uh, world for this time, we do not belong here. It is not our eternal home. And the church is to be a slice of that eternal home here on earth. I, uh, the other part of what's fueling this for me is seeing a generation or maybe generations of believers of late who have grown up not valuing the church. The church is um, an option, not a command. Or maybe even the church is a command, the gathering of the church is a command, and not something to be enjoyed. One of the things I love about events like tonight, this light fight that we'll have, is, is these fun opportunities. I was talking with a couple yesterday, and uh, at the last family carnival, um, the, the husband looked at his wife and said, how do you feel about the fact that this is where our children will grow up? And they were just overjoyed with the fact that their, their kids and their family got to grow up here. See, that's what the church was for me. If you know my story, you know my father died at a very young age, and the church loved me, loved me well. And it wasn't programs. The church served me well through programs. But it was people. It was people in the church who loved me well. It was people in their church who, who opened their homes to me. More than that, they opened their lives and their, their hearts to me, many of whom I still have relationships with today. I knew that one, uh, one couple in the church who particularly loved me well, who I am still well connected with, as a boy who grew up with a father, I knew that if I sat next to him in church, he would put his arm around me. Oh, I wanted to be there every Sunday morning. The church was just the place I wanted to be because people loved me and they loved me well. I was having a discussion with a, a gentleman in our growth group, and he's been around the church for about a year and uh, we were talking, and he said, you know, in the last year that I've been at Trinity, I've only been into two people's homes, yours and, and the home we meet in for growth group. I thought, oh, how, how sad. 
How sad that is not only for him, that he's not being welcomed into people's homes and engaging in their lives, but, but how sad for all of us that we're not opening our homes. If you're not being hospitable, if you're not opening your home to others, even if you're an introvert, you're robbing yourself of a great joy that there is in the kingdom. And one of the things uh, that Jesus prays for, and this is why we're looking at John 17. It's not our traditional Christmas passage, but this is Jesus' dying prayer. As, as we met, went, met, spent time with this couple yesterday, and as they came over and as my wife took pictures of their newborn son, and we, we were holding this baby, and he was precious, and it just made my whole week. But, uh, but, but we were holding him, and my wife made this observation. She said, isn't it amazing that the God of all creation would become like this, helpless, dependent upon sinners, needy. And he didn't just come, and he wasn't just born as a baby at this season to, uh, to give us a good story to tell, to give us an occasion to eat more food than we ought to eat or spend more money on presents than we ought to spend. He came to give himself as a ransom to pay the penalty, uh, 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 the consequences of our sin, to, to pay the debt of death that we owed to purchase us and give us the gift of eternal life. Talk about spending too much on a gift. But he prays here in John 17 as he goes to the cross, the night before he dies, as, as he is praying before he dies, this, this baby came for this purpose. And what he is praying for in John 17 is something we must pay attention to. And last week, we saw how he prayed that we might see his glory because his glory is the greatest thing we can behold, the most beautiful thing we can ever see. It is the only place our hearts can be deeply and truly satisfied. And so he prays that we would behold his glory for our good. But here in these verses today, we see that one of the things he prays for is unity. And I think in order to understand unity and some of what he teaches us in John 17, we need to, to have in mind maybe what he has in mind as he prays for unity. I think uh, all too often it's easy to think of unity in terms of uniformity, that we are all to be the same, have the same gifts, have the same roles, have the same hopes and dreams and desires. After all, the church would be a better place if we were more uniform. And particularly, what we do with that is, oh, the church would be a much better place if everybody was like me. But no, that's not the way God has designed his church. That's not the blueprint. He has made us a body. He has made us an organism, not an organization. Each part having a function and a role and a design and a purpose. And we grow and we're connected and functioning as we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, what he prays for among us is unity. And I think in order to understand what he is praying for, we need to take a look at Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is a song of ascents. These psalms of ascents would be prayed and or sung as people would ascend up to the temple, up Mount Moriah to where the temple was in worship. And as the nation of Israel was gathering itself together for worship at the temple of the Lord, one of the songs that they sang was Psalm 133 of David, Behold. Now this means look, 
Pay attention. There's something to see here. Look how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I don't think David is giving us two terms to describe the same thing. I don't think he's just uh, uh, adding extra words to add words. I think he is purposefully and intentionally pointing us to the fact that unity is both good and pleasant. Sometimes what is good is not pleasant, and sometimes what is pleasant is not good. Exercise is good for you and for me. It's not always pleasant. Uh, Jennifer climbed Half Dome this summer, and what what exercise led up to was pleasant. She had the ability to make a 20-mile hike in one day, ascending 5,000 feet and back down, and it was beautiful views. And there's not many people who can say that they've done that. And it was pleasant. But all of the work that led up to it wasn't always pleasant. It was good. But what's good for us isn't always pleasant. And sometimes what's pleasant for us isn't always good. For me, I I think one of the, the most pleasant things is ice cream. I probably look like one of the most pleasant things is ice cream. But it's not always good for you. Here, God, through his Holy Spirit, or by his Holy Spirit, through David, wants us to understand that when we dwell together in unity, as he's gathering the nation of Israel together to worship him, and as he has gathered his church here today for his praise, unity among us is both good and pleasant. It is also provided by God. Look with me at verse 2. It is like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now for us, this just sounds messy. But there's an important picture here. Aaron was the first high priest. And God gave instructions to Moses uh, for the perfumer to make a certain oil. And this oil was not to be replicated, it was not to be counterfeited, it was not to be used for anything other than the appointment of the high priest, this man whom God chose and appointed for his service. And so the instructions for this oil, the instructions for the anointing, the ministry and the work that he had in in relationship to God's people was not from him. It's something that came down upon him. And as this oil was poured on the head of the high priest to anoint him to his position and his task among God's people, the picture was that this was something that came down from the Lord. And it didn't come down in small measure. He wasn't anointed with a drop of oil. It came down abundantly until it ran over his head and through his beard and onto the robes, these robes that that signified his role as the high priest amongst God's people. Unity is not only good and pleasant, it is from the Lord. It is something he has given to us. And in Christ, he is always working towards unity in his church. Stop and think for a moment. Do you love unity, delight in unity amongst God's people or in your home? Do you work against it with sin and gossip 
and slander, by demanding your own way, by being prideful and thinking of yourself more often than you think of others. Because when we work against unity in the church, we work against what God is doing and doing abundantly amongst his people. And that is a losing battle. You cannot win in a fight against God. He will win. Verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon, Hermon being the highest peak in Israel, in northern Israel, which falls on the mountains of Zion. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this verse, but Zion is more towards the south, uh, near Jerusalem. So the dew of Hermon does not fall on the mountains of Zion, only God can do that for there where God provides his unity, where it comes down from the Lord, where he does what we cannot do, when we dwell in unity that is good and pleasing, for there Yahweh has commanded his blessing. Oh, the the church that gathers in unity and joy is a church where there is blessing. And what is that blessing? It is life forevermore. There is blessing when the church gathers in unity. Now, now this is uh, maybe some, if not all, of what, uh, what Jesus has in mind when he thinks of unity in John chapter 17. And we'll return there now where he prays in chapter 20 for us, where he prays for you and I. He says, I do not ask for these only. He, he's prayed that they might see the fullness of his glory and that they might delight in him, that they might be sanctified in the truth, that, that we might, uh, that, that, that uh, and now he's, he's saying to us in verse 20 that he's praying not for these only, not just these 11 men, 12 minus Judas, these 11 men who, who are not the only ones he's praying for. I do not ask for these only, but I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word. And 2,000 years later, that's you and me. Jesus' dying prayer is for you and me that through their word, We might, verse 21, that we might all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And there's three important uh, aspects of unity in the church or maybe even, uh, I'll go with aspects in the church that I want us to understand. And these we'll review quite quickly. Number one, Jesus tells us the basis of our unity. The basis of our unity is God himself. In verse 21, he prays in the opening of this verse that we might all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Though it is difficult for us to grasp and comprehend, God has eternally existed as three persons, yet only one God. In God, there is everything he needs for happiness. There is relationship. There is affection and love and delight and submission and glory and worship. It's all built in there. He doesn't need us. He didn't didn't exist as three gods sometime in the past who decided to love each other so much that they would then be one God. He has eternally existed as one God in three persons. Uh, I can understand what that is. I cannot understand how that works And I'm comfortable with that because it means that God is not like me and he is not subject to my understanding. But that relationship, that eternal relationship of the Father to the Son and to the Spirit is the basis for our unity. 
Because God is a unity of three persons, he calls his church to be unified as well. So the basis of our unity is the nature of God himself. The source of our unity is also God himself. Look how Jesus continues to pray in verse 21. That they may, I'm praying that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Father, the way that we are one, I want them to be one, that they also may be in us. There's also this kind of dualistic unity between Christ and his church. In the book of Ephesians, and we won't bear this out, but if you read through the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, an incredible amount of times Paul talks about us being found in Christ. When you repented of your sin, when when you ceased to trust yourself for God's acceptance and trusted the death and resurrection of Christ, when you believed in him for salvation, you were placed in him. You were placed in Christ, according to Paul in Ephesians 1 through 3. And so much so that his death is now your death. His life, your life, his resurrection your eternal resurrection, his inheritance, your inheritance, his blessing, your blessing, his father, your father. When we are placed in Christ, everything that he has becomes ours. But we are not just found in Christ, he is found in us, particularly by his Holy Spirit. And after three chapters in Ephesians of of explaining to us what it means to be found in Christ, he prays. Paul prays that Christ might dwell richly in our hearts through faith. And so as the Father and the Son are one, so are we by faith united to God in such a way that the basis of our unity, God's nature himself, is also the source of our unity. This is like oil coming down on the head and the beard and the robes of Aaron. As God comes upon us, lives in us, makes his home among us, we are enabled to be unified. It is the nature of God and the nature of what he provides in the church that is the means of this unity that God has provided. But thirdly, we see the purpose of his unity. And while unity is good and pleasant, Among brothers, while unity brings glory to God, while unity is good for us, none of those things are the purpose for which God pray or for which Christ prays for unity here. Maybe we could connect this, and certainly, not maybe, certainly we could connect this to the glory of God, because what Jesus is about to pray, he prays for his glory and for the Father's. But the purpose of unity is not merely for our good. Look again with me at verse 21. He's praying that they, that is you and us, you and I, may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity is for our good. 
It results in our good. And Jesus is even praying this, as we see in verse 13, for our good. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, that is we, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. God wants us. Christ is praying. He wants us to have joy in him. He wants to give us abundant life. But not just so that we can hoard it. Not just so that we can hide and experience here. It is so that we can be his witnesses. See, when we go to the world and we tell them, look, look at our unifying God. Look at our God who, who lived for us and died for us and can reconcile us to God the Father. When, when our words say that, but our conduct in the church says otherwise, nobody's ever going to believe us. The world is going to look at us and say, you want me to believe in a, a unifying God, in a God who became a man, who died to unify us to himself, but you guys can't even have unity among each other? That is not an accusation, by the way. I'm not accusing Trinity of being uh, uh, ununified or divided. But we all chip away at unity with our sin in, in places and in ways, demanding our way. When we gossip, and backbite, and fight, refuse to, uh, to reconcile with one another. Actually, I didn't even think of this in first service. It was kind of funny in the moment. But I think it speaks to this. I ran, I, I ran across the pastor of another church in a coffee shop a couple weeks ago. And, and uh, I know him, so I was talking to him. And one of their elders came into the coffee shop as well, and he introduced me, and he said, oh, this is Logan, he's the pastor of Trinity. And the elder's response was, I used to go there. And I said, yeah, you and the rest of Walla Walla. I don't seem to be able to meet anybody who didn't used to go to Trinity. And then this pastor made a funny joke that said, yeah, we're going to make a fortune off of bumper stickers that say, I used to go to such and such church. There's like this church circuit in Walla Walla where I'll go to this church as long as it gives me what I want. Oh, but when you stop serving me in my way, I'm going somewhere else. And I just hop from church to church to church, making a demand. And when we first get there, people are excited that we're there. And they'll meet those demands for a time. But eventually... You're expected to come into unity with the church. And when that's out of line with your desires, we'll go somewhere else. As long as we're unwilling to, uh, to, to connect with other gospel-minded churches, when we're riding the church circuit, seeking out our preferences, when we're backbiting and arguing and dividing and demanding among each other, the world is never going to hear our message that we worship and serve a God who is able to unify us to himself. He didn't just die. He didn't just become a baby to unite us to him, but also to one another. We are to be united. Not uniform, united. United in purpose. Last week we saw that our purpose is to be the glory of God. 
This week we see that that results in the good of the church as we're unified. And next week we're going to see how that results in the salvation of the lost. And so I don't want to press this point any farther. But let me just bring this to a close by drawing our attention back to this idea of a home. God has designed the church. The blueprint has been made. He, he, through the death and resurrection of his son, built the house. And he calls us to make it his home. But every home has a purpose. Every home lives for something. Whether it's to live to work or live to play or live for one another or, or live for sports or live for our children or hopefully live for the glory of God. Every church has a purpose. Every, church, or every home has a purpose. Every home lives for something. But every home also has times when the family gathers, when we get together, when we celebrate one another, when we welcome new members, when we feast around a table. Every church gathers, but you don't just stay there. You don't just lock yourselves up inside there. We've seen over the last couple of years just how hard and damaging even it can be on people if all they are is locked away at home. And so it is for the church. The church has a purpose. This, this home away from home, this embassy, this slice of heaven on earth has a purpose, namely the glory of God. It has a time regularly where we gather to feast at the Lord's table, to welcome new members who are united to us by new birth where we look up to our Heavenly Father as He provides for us. But we don't just stay there. Every day, we scatter from our homes. And we go to our places of work and school and wherever we may go. And God does that with the church too. He doesn't call us just to come in here and feast and hide and look to our Father. No, He calls us to scatter, to go to get to work, to be unified here, to experience the goodness and joy and delight that a unified family can be, and then to go out and tell others of this God who became a baby, our king. Think on that for a moment. I don't know what it's like to live under a king because I'm an American and I think nobody's in charge of me. The king, the ruler of heaven and earth, the maker of heaven and earth, he became one of us to free us from our death sentence so that we could be united to God and united to each other and united in our purpose to go out and call the world to come be united to him as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, you were pleased to come and ransom us. You were pleased to send your son to die in our place. And that you have done so for our good, that we might see your glory, that we might delight in you, that we might the, experience the goodness of unity in the church. Lord, you, you want to remove the curse of sin, not just between you and us as individuals, but between us and us as a church. Lord, unite us together. 
Unite us in the gospel. Unite us in our allegiance to Christ. Unite us in our desire to take the message of salvation to a world that is perishing. Unite us for your glory and for our good. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I do not see Dwayne Weston here. So I'm going to do the deed of closing out our service this week. If you would, please uh, take out your uh, worship folder and look at the back. Um, We had a, uh, well, as we saw last week, we had a member's, uh, here he comes. Talk about good timing. I'll turn things over to you. I'll let you do this. So we ended up.